The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Happy Fourth of July weekend, New Song Church. I hope that you had an incredible Fourth of July with your family. And even though we miss being with you today, the good news is next week we'll be in our brand new 33B location. And we've been working really hard to get that space ready. Our team is still going to be working really hard this week, but, but I believe it's going to be so worth it because it is going to blow you away when you see it next week. So make sure you're, you're with us. I'd encourage you to invite some friends. It's going to be an amazing, amazing day of celebration. Well, today we're continuing our series called Red Letter. And if you have your Bible, go Go ahead and open it up or click over to Luke chapter 15. And what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about the parable of the prodigal son. Now, this is one of the most famous of all the parables. In fact, it's arguably one of the most famous stories that's ever been told. And, and I'm sure you know it well, but, but what I want to do today is I want to unpack it for you because if you understand the climate and the times and the culture of the people that Jesus was sharing this story with when he originally shared it, it really helps you have a greater understanding of the heart of God for you. Now, before I jump into this amazing story, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been homesick before? Like, like really, really homesick? I remember when I first graduated high school, a few of my buddies had an apartment and they, uh, they invited me to come and live with them. And at the time, this sounded really, really exciting. They had this cool apartment that was in this really nice complex that sat on a golf course. And, and the idea of this freedom of being able to move out with my friends and, and, and you know, kind of like you're spending the night with your friends for the rest of your life, like that all sounded really, really good and fun to me. So I moved out. And after I moved in with these guys, I discovered that it sounded a lot better than it actually was. There were some very harsh realities that I came to realize after I moved in with them. For example, I didn't realize that it cost money and a lot of money to not live at home. I didn't know that that was the way it worked. I also didn't realize that when I, when I wore clothes and I took them off and I put them in the hamper, they didn't just magically reappear in my dresser the next day like they used to. I don't know what was going on there, but that ended. Or, or like, I'd go eat some food, and I'd put my dish in the sink, and it just stayed there. And in fact, the other guys would just pile more dishes on top of it. And, and so what I, what I began to discover after living with these guys for just a little bit was that we were all very selfish, nasty dudes. And, and I remember about three months into living there, I got sick. I actually got the flu. And, and when I got sick, I discovered something else that I was not expecting. Nobody gave a rip. <laughs> like, like, none of these guys cared. In fact, they were like laughing at me at first. And then after I stayed sick for a few days, it just kind of became an inconvenience to their lifestyle. And so I remember there's this one night I'm sick, and I'm in bed, and I've been, in, I've been sick for days, and I'm physically sick, but I'm also homesick. And I'm laying there in this bed, and I'm just thinking... I want my mommy. Like, I want to go home. I wish I was home. And so I decided I was going to go home. So I got in my car and I drove the mile and a half to my house. And when I got home, my mom didn't meet me at the door and say, like, what are you doing here? How dare you show your face around here? No, she, she welcomed me in 
And really, it was like I never left. I went up to my room, and I got in bed, and she was taking care of me, and it was awesome. And I discovered something that day that I know to be true to this day. You know, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz says it good. There's no place like home. And I don't know if you've ever been homesick before, like, like maybe when you went away to camp when you were a little kid, or maybe when you went to college after you graduated high school, or maybe it was when you first got married and you moved in with your new spouse, and, and you found yourself kind of having that homesick feeling, and you just, you kind of wanted to go home. Or, or, or maybe you're here today, and, and there's something in your life, maybe there's a circumstance that's going on in your life right now that has you feeling like you're away from home. Maybe you would say today, you don't even really know what home is. Maybe you've never experienced a family the right way. And there's, there's something inside of you that tells you that there's, there's got to be something more. And this, what you're experiencing right now, it's, it's not right. Well, what, what's beautiful about the story that we're going to look at today is it's a story about a family, the family of God. And it's a story of a home that awaits every one of us, a home that we can come home to no matter where we are and no matter what we've done. So, so let's look at this together. Luke chapter 15, starting verse 11, it says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. All right, so... So we have here at the beginning of the story, we've got this rich man and he's got these two sons. And, and the way it worked at this time in this culture was at the end of your life, as you were getting close to death, you would divide up your estate and sell things in order to prepare your estate so that you could give an inheritance to your children. So, so in this case, the father has these two sons. And at this time, this is kind of how it would work. The first son would get two thirds of everything and the other son Son, the younger son would get would get one third. So so in the story, the younger son comes to his father and he wants his portion. But here's the problem: his father is not near death, like not even close to death. So so for him to go to his father and ask for his inheritance before his father is dead is is basically it's like it's like he's saying to his father, I wish you were dead. What, what he's saying here is kind of like, it's like, I, what I want from you is what you can give me, the riches and the things that you can give me. And you being alive is an inconvenience to me because it's keeping me from getting what it is that I really want. So the best case scenario for me is you're dead or, or that you would just give me my stuff, the stuff from you that I want. And in this culture, what he did was so dishonoring. His father had the legal right to take him out and to beat him within an inch of his life if he wanted to. And yet he doesn't do that. Jesus says in the story that the father divides up his inheritance and he gives his son his portion. Now understand, to do this, that means he had to sell things. He had to sell things and, and take a loss on some of these things in order to portion everything out and give to his son the part that he was asking for. Now look what it says next here, verse 13. It says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered together all, so all the stuff that he got from his father, and he journeyed to a far off country. So he gets all his stuff 
and he leaves. Now, again, in this culture, people lived very close to each other, and it was, it was a common practice for families to live in these kind of communal villages together where your neighbors would be your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and your brothers and sisters. And so in order for this prodigal son to leave his home, he also will have to, to leave and walk by all these people and, and extended family members who know him and, and basically abandon everybody. And, I, and I'm sure as he's leaving and, and he's walking away, taking all his riches, you know, these people know the story. They know everything. They know that what he's done. They, they, they probably know what he said. They understand completely what he's doing. And they're probably looking at him and saying, how can you do this to your father? How can you be so cruel? But he doesn't care. He just wants his own way. And so he walks through them and he leaves. And, and, and it says, the younger son gathered all together a journey to a far off country. And then it goes on to say this. It says, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal living means he was reckless and extravagantly wasteful. Verse 14 says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he, be, and he began to be in want. So very quickly, he spends everything he has and, and now he's got, he's got nothing left. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Now that, when it says a, a citizen, that means he was a Gentile citizen and we know that because of, of what it says next. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. Okay, so, so he joined himself. That word joined himself actually means that, that he begged him for a job. Because of this severe famine in the land, the best he can do is to connect himself to a poor Gentile rancher. And, and this rancher sends him out to feed the pigs and to take care of these pigs. Now, you've got to understand, to the Hebrew audience that Jesus was talking to, in, in the culture of this time, this was unheard of. Like you didn't touch pigs. You weren't associated with pigs. You had nothing to do with pigs. And when Jesus was telling this story and he said that this Hebrew son went out to feed the swine, there was probably like an audible gasp from the audience of Hebrew people that heard this. This son is in a bad place and he's compromised his integrity to a degree that is as bad as it can possibly be. And it says this in verse 16, it says, and he would have gladly uh, have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Uh, a better translation of that word anything is no one gave him anything of sustenance. So, so the guy he's working for is so poor that he's giving him something, but, it, but it's not enough. And out of the desperation that the prodigal son finds him in, he, he's wanting to eat so bad that he's, he's looking at the carob pods, which are these nasty things given to pigs to fatten them up, and, and he's, he's wanting to eat those. He, he's in a terrible, terrible place. And what we see here in this story is, is we see the son who goes out, he leaves the fellowship of his, of his family and his father to go find freedom that he's looking for out in the world, but all he finds is, is slavery. And he finds that he's a slave to his own desires and nothing can actually satisfy him. And you know, really, it's a picture of what sin does in our life. It sounds fun. It sounds good. But when we step outside of the fellowship that we have with the Father, 
Nothing brings real, true satisfaction to us. In verse 14, it, it, says, it says, when he had spent all he had living in sin, that's, that's what he had been doing. In fact, in verse 30, later on in the story, his brother is talking about the way that, that his brother has been living, the prodigal son has been living, and he says he devoured his livelihood with harlots. So, so this prodigal son is, is out living it up in sin. He's been with prostitutes. He's probably doing whatever, whatever forms of drugs existed at the time. He's chasing after sin. He's living in debauchery, and he's destroying his life because that's what sin does. The Bible says this in Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From, from the flesh will reap destruction. Sin always leads to destruction. But here's the thing about sin. Sin likes to hide the price tag. Sin likes to show you things and say, look, look how good this looks. But, but what you don't see is the price tag attached to it. You don't see what it's going to cost you to have that thing that you, you think you want really bad. You think that that thing's going to bring fulfillment to you. But the cost is always so much more than we can pay. It hurts us. It, hurt, it hurts our families. Sin does damage, and it's so deceptive. And so this son finds himself in that place. He finds himself in this place where he's been chasing after sin, and it's left him lacking and wanting more, and nothing satisfies him. And he's kind of at the end. He's at rock bottom. And it's at this moment, at this place, where he hits rock bottom, where he begins to have this kind of change of heart. Look at what it says here in verse 17. But when he came to himself, in other words, that means he came to his senses. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's in this place of, of total desperation and it's in that moment that he comes to his senses and he begins to think, well, I'm living this terrible life and if, and if I just went home, even if I was just to be a servant of my father, I'd be living better than, than this. So maybe, I, maybe I, could just, I could just go home and maybe if I repent, if I ask for enough forgiveness, maybe he'll allow me to be the janitor and sweep the floors or something like that. I, I know I can't be his son again, but at least I can come home, at least be able to get by and, and at least be around my family. And so now in these verses, he begins to kind of start rehearsing this I'm sorry, dad speech. He, he, says, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Notice, notice that he recognizes that he sinned against his father and he's also sinned against God. And so now he, he's turning back to his father. Remember at one point, at the beginning of the story, he turns away from his father, but now he's turning back towards his father. And he's beginning to, to, to start this journey in his heart to return to his father. And, and I don't know if he truly knows what he's going to get when he gets home, but there's something inside of him that tells him there's no place like home. And this is where this story gets really, really good. Look at verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father. Now pay really close attention to this next part. 
But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck. In other words, he he hugged him tightly and he kissed him. Now, this is amazing because what we see here is, is, and let me just say this, when Jesus told this story, what, what he was trying to do with this story is point us to the heart of the Father, God, for, for those who are lost. So, so there are things that we can take away from this story that will help us have a greater understanding of this amazing heart of the Father God towards his children. Okay, so first of all, what we see is when the son returns home, no, no servant has to come up to the father and say, hey, your, your son is, is coming. No one has to, to tell the father this. But, but it says when, when he was still a great way off, the father saw him. Here, here's what that tells me. His father was looking for him. His father's eyes were on the horizon looking for him. I imagine that, that every day his father would wake up and, and open up the windows to the house and, and look to see if he could see the silhouette of his son in the distance. I, I imagine that as his father was overseeing the work that was being done on the land and looking over all the crews and all the things that were going on, he was constantly looking over his shoulder and scouring the horizon to see if he could see the silhouette of his son coming home. He was looking for his son. He was looking for his return. And it says, when he saw him, he had compassion. Notice his first reaction is not, well, I wonder what he did with all that money I gave him. Or how how dare him think that he can return home. No, his first reaction is compassion and love. And it says he ran and he fell on his neck and he hugged him and he began to kiss him. And and so they meet up and and the son embraces his father. And then he begins to go into his, his I'm sorry Speech, And I imagine that probably the whole time he was returning home, he was rehearsing how he was going to say it. And in verse 21, it says this, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, in verse 18, he says these same words as he's rehearsing his I'm sorry speech. But, but here, the father interrupts him. He, he doesn't let him finish what he was going to say. He doesn't let him say, make me one of your servants. He cuts him off. And he says this in verse 22. This is the father. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and they began to be merry when he returns home his father begins to shower him with gifts and and all these gifts that he gives him are of great significance the first gift he gives him is a robe he puts a robe on him and a robe shows that he wanted to to cover him i imagine that when this son comes home he's not looking like he he did when he left he's probably very frail looking probably dirty he probably has his his hair's probably matted he's been starving he, he, I imagine he looks terrible because sin has done damage to him. So what does his father do? He grabs him and he covers him. He gets a robe to cover him so the people don't see him in his shame. What does he do next? It says he puts a ring on his hand. 
A ring is a symbol of wealth and dignity and authority. And at this time in the culture of of this day, uh, rings were used for doing business transactions. So basically, here's what the father is saying. Hey, let's get this guy back on the bank accounts. Let's give him access to the family wealth. Let's put him back right where he was before. Then it says that his father put sandals on his feet. In this culture, if you were a slave, you were not allowed to wear shoes. And so the son comes home, and he comes home barefoot. And he's probably been walking home in pain. And so what does the father do? He puts shoes on his feet. And it points to this idea that he's coming home, not a slave, he's coming home a son who's covered and put right back in a position of authority. The father immediately showers him with gifts, and all these gifts that the father gives him are symbols of complete restoration. The father doesn't bring him back as a slave. The father doesn't say, well, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just see how you do moving forward. I'm going to keep my eye on you. If you prove yourself, then, then maybe. No, he, he brings him right back in and puts him right back in the same position he found himself in before he left. And then what does he do? He, he throws a party. He says, go get the, the fatted calf. He's like, go, go tell everybody. Tell, tell all the people that my son offended, all the people in the village that, that, he, that were hurt by him. Bring them all back in. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna kill the fatted calf, which they only did that when they were like throwing a huge party, like a wedding. I mean, it's gonna be a celebration. We're throwing a party. Get, get the event coordinators, throw, throw up the tents. We're, we're gonna celebrate. Why? Because, because my son has come home. He was lost and now he's found, he was gone, and now he's here. And it's amazing. And I want to point you back to one little thing that's in the story that is often overlooked. And it's something that that God showed me a few years ago when I was studying this story that completely changed the way I see the story. In, In verse 20, it says that when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and he ran. His father ran. Now, we don't see the significance in this on the surface today, but this was a huge statement in the culture of that day. The statement is so huge. In fact, in in Eastern culture, this story is not called the story of the lost son or the story of the prodigal son. It's actually called the story of the running father because the people Uh, that were hearing this story originally understood the significance of a running father. In this culture, fathers didn't run. Old men didn't run. Men over 40 didn't run. Wealthy men didn't run. Running was disgraceful for a man to do. And and this father was a wealthy man. He would, he would have had on, on these long robes that, that, and so, and so in order for him to run, he would have had to like literally like bunch up the robe and pull it up and run like to his son with like a, like a little girl with a dress on. And, And to do that, he would also have to pull it up to the point where his undergarments would have been showing and his legs would have been showing, which was completely undignified. In this culture, his leg showing is basically old man nudity. And so old men don't run, but this father ran. He ran to his son. He runs to this son who stinks, who's dirty, who betrayed him. Why does he run? Well, in the culture of this day, there was a ceremony called the Kaziza that would take place if a son did something like what this son did. 
And, and what would happen is, upon returning, the people of a village you betrayed, they would meet you and, and they, would, they would have this big clay pot that is filled with burnt beans. And as you entered into the city, they would come out and, and, and the whole village would come out and they would throw the pot down on the ground in front of you. And it was a symbol of the fact that, that you were no longer welcomed in that village. And they would shame you and they would disgrace you and the burnt beans were, were symbolic of your bridges being burned here. And you have no rights, no place here. But by throwing this down, they're saying, we don't want you here. And it was a, it was a visual symbol that this, this community rejects you forever. And they would make this declaration that, that you no longer existed in this community. And then the, the little children around would begin to start picking up stones and they would throw them at you until they chased you away. And this was a very real thing that the people that Jesus was sharing this story with knew about. And so when Jesus shares the story, the people that were hearing this story understood that this was something that was a real possibility that would normally take place. So, so when he says the father ran, here's why the father ran. He ran to get in front of the village. He ran so he could save his son from the disgrace of sin and what it was going to lead to. And I hope that as you hear this this morning, you're making the connection. The father was willing to disgrace himself and embrace his son. And here's what happened as the father ran and grabbed him and embraced him and hugged him and kissed him. It told the village, there will be no Kaziza. And the people that heard this story understood that this son deserved a Kaziza, but instead he received forgiveness and reconciliation and the love of a father. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done for every one of us. Jesus took our Kaziza at the cross. He took our shame. He took our punishment. And the moral of this story is that me and you uh, have a loving father. And, he, and I hope that you see that in this story like you never have before. I, I hope today that you walk away from this message having an, under, an, an understanding that the love of the Father for you. We, we have a Father and our Father God who loves us and welcomes us home and wants to embrace us and bring us into his family. He's not, he's not looking for slaves. No matter what, what you've done, he wants to welcome you into his family and put you in a position of, of authority and cover you as his son or as his daughter. That's who our Father God is. God is an amazing Father. In fact, God is, is, is the kind of Father who's like obsessed with you. He is. Like he loves you and he's thinking about you all the time. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, says this. It says, for I know the thoughts I think towards you. This is God talking, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Psalms 139 verse 17 says this, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God is thinking about you. And he's like a proud dad, you know, watching his kids play sports. You, you can, you, he, he loves you and he's cheering you on in every little thing that you do. That's your father God. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And in this story, Jesus painted a picture of, of a father who's looking for you. No matter where you are, he loves you. No matter what you've done, he wants to cover you. He wants to take your shame and welcome you home. 
So he sent his son Jesus over 2,000 years ago to come and to die on a cross, to get out in front of your Kaziza, to pay the price so that you don't have to experience the shame. And through Jesus Christ, we can be covered. Our sins can be hidden. They can be washed away and, and, and they can be no more through Jesus Christ. Through, through Jesus Christ, we can receive authority. We can come to be a part of the family of God. We can, we can have access to the accounts of God. We can make transitions in the, tra- transactions in the name of God. That, that's what God has done for you. Your father is looking for you. And I love what it says. It says that, that when he was afar off, listen, even if you're far off today, your father is looking for you. And if you'll just turn and take a step and recognize you need him and recognize that you've messed up and acknowledge that, he will run to meet you and he will embrace you with the Father's love. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Wherever you are today, just take a moment. I want to invite you to take a moment and just search your heart and ask yourself, am I right with the Lord? Maybe you're listening to this right now and you know you're not where you should be with God. You know that you're, you're far from God. And God's saying to you, he wants you to come home. Well, if that's you today, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. You can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross for you. The Bible says that you can be saved. You can step into the family of God and you can have everything that God has for you. You don't have to be a, a slave. You can be a son or a daughter. So I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Say this, say, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I confess that I've sinned and I need a savior. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose from the grave so I could be raised to new life through him. Jesus, I give you my life. I make you my Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.